Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Uh, JC, great to be able to catch up with you. Um, always amazing to see you and that massive microphone. <laughs> okay, we got it. Uh, there's a lot to cover today, but let's, let's first start with your big picture on the markets, especially given the fact that, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, new highs being hit. So where, where do you stand right now when you look at the markets? Technically speaking, I should point that out. We're talking about technical analysis. Yeah, for sure, which is really the only truth, Catherine, right? And that's why we focus on price because we know price is never going to lie to us. You know, CEOs lie to us all the time or maybe they're just wrong. You know, sell-side analysts, you know, again, wrong all the time or lying to us, right? They're just, there's humans, right? So it's just what it is. Price is never going to be restated, right? It's fact. So when we follow prices, yeah. prices trend. That's the beauty of it. That's why technical analysis works because what are we doing? We're looking for trends. And in the large cap space, a lot of these large cap indexes, look at Europe, uh, look at the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Dow Industrials, and they are making new all-time highs. But when you look at the average drawdowns in the stock market, particularly in the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ, the average stock is down over 20%. So when people are like, hey, JC, is the market going to enter a correction? You know, the truth is the market's been correcting for over six months. You might not see it at the S&P 500 level, but when you look at the individual sectors and components, you've seen a ton of deterioration underneath the surface. Now, that doesn't change the fact that bigger picture, you look at the Eurostock 600 index, which is a broad measure of Europe. You look at Japan coming out of major bases. You look at the U.S. financials index, major 14-year base. These are some of the most important indexes in the world that bigger picture are coming out of massive bases, right? That's super bullish. Now, that's bigger picture. When you break it down to what's actually happening, what's happening this year, and what to expect moving forward, I think further volatility, further chop, lower correlations among individual components of the market. So I think the big theme moving forward, Catherine, is winners and losers. You're going to get winners, and you're going to get a whole bunch of losers, too. Mm -hmm. um, why don't we start with the winners? What's working? You have financials for one, broker-dealers making new all-time highs, the XLF making new all-time highs, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Berkshire Hathaway, a lot of these capital market companies. You've got a lot of exposure in financials around the world. So you're seeing international markets outperforming U.S. markets for the first time in forever. You're getting an expansion in countries that are making new highs. A lot of that has to do with a lot of these Countries around the world have a lot more exposure to financials and cyclicals in general, right? Commodities, base metals, financials. Those are the areas that have been working. I'd like to point you to industrials. Europe has three times the industrial exposure to the United States. And all 20 stocks in the Dow Jones transportation average, all these transports are in the S&P industrials. So this is the most important sector in America. It has the highest correlation with the S&P 500 of all the sectors. And since May, it's gone sideways. So June, July, August, we're now in September. We're going on almost four months of sideways action in industrials. 
So if you want to know the direction of markets moving forward, follow that index. Currently, it's sideways, which tells us a lot about the market. Sideways, right? Um, but an upside or downside resolution is going to tell us a lot more about global equity. So that's the one I'd be watching, XLI. Hmm. Okay, but um, when you reference the fact that the European markets have more cyclical or industrial exposure than the U.S. markets. What do I need to take from that? Then it's not a tech-oriented market like the United States, right? Most markets around the world, pretty much every other one except maybe Taiwan, is a, a, you know more cyclical, more financials, more industrials, energy, materials, right? Commodities, a lot more exposure there than in technology, right? Which is why you've seen so much outperformance out of the United States for so long as these cyclicals struggled and technology was doing so well. These growth, large cap growth stocks were doing so well for so long. You could really see the difference in returns between the United States and the rest of the world. But if these cyclicals are going to get a bid, First of all, you know, that helps the international markets that don't have the tech exposure. And then within the United States, those cyclical areas like financials, materials, industrials, energy, those are interesting areas that we think can outperform moving forward. But I think it's going to be on a case by case basis. Right now, markets are still a mess. A mess? That's a strong statement. Well, the average stock is down over 20% off its highs. Small yeah. caps, micro caps, mid caps haven't gone anywhere in six months. Um, the advanced decline line in the NASDAQ peaked in February. In the New York Stock Exchange, it peaked in May. Um, until last week, we were getting more new lows than new highs. So, yeah, I mean, I can keep going if you want. But all that, to me, screams messy market. Messy market. Um, I guess, does it scream anything in terms of watch out? There's a lot of downside risk coming. You know, I think a lot of stocks and sectors have already gotten hit. Like I said, the average stock is down over 20%, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, some would argue that that's a, a bear market, right? So you want to talk about messy markets. We've been in one for some time. Now, are the large caps now going to catch down to what the rest of the markets have done? That's certainly a possibility. Could we see some outperformance out of small caps, emerging markets, things like that? For sure. In fact, I think that's probably the higher probability outcome more churn, more environments where there are some winners and there are some losers, right? It, it, it's more bifurcated as opposed to very high correlations like we saw last year where when stocks got slammed in the first quarter with the whole COVID thing, correlation spiked. And then they all bottomed simultaneously and ripped into the summer and in, into the fall. So correlations were super high. Since then, we've seen correlations deteriorate. So it's more, I don't want to say stock pickers market because that's so cliche. It's always like that. But if we're going to use that term ever, uh, this is the market where that term actually makes sense. Okay, so we talked about some areas that are doing well, the winner. So the XLI, XLF. I do want to get your take though on tech because that obviously has been the market leader leadership. Um, but but we've also seen some of the big cap tech companies that maybe up until a couple of weeks ago really just churn and churn sideways. And then now they seem to re be resuming their upward trajectory. So wh where do you stand? Let, let's go through some of the fame names. I think they're some of the most popular ones in people's portfolios. Yeah, you know, Amazon, uh, you know, we're bullish. If Amazon is above 3,300, I think it's got upside. Uh, Apple as well. I want to get you an exact quote on Apple. Um, I had the 
Apple right in front of me just a second ago. Here we go. Uh, we're looking at about a buck forty. So if Apple's above one forty, I like it long. But you know what's really interesting is the software space specifically. Uh, look at Elastic ESTC. This is a fifteen billion dollar software stock making new relative highs. If this one's above one seventy two, I like Elastic long. Uh, look at Avalara. This is a sixteen billion dollar software stock. AVLR. If this one's above 185, which will put it above the highs from earlier this year, I like that one long. And then one more software stock, Veronis Systems, V-R-N-S. If that one's mm -hmm. above 72, I like it long with a target up near 90. So software specifically within tech, I think is where we want to look. Hmm. Um, and what about the, the semis these days? Um, we've had some, you know, positive news but there's also been recently concerns about um, actually too much supply. Yeah, well, I don't know about too much supply. The, the, in terms of price, maybe there's too much supply, but there's more demand than it. So that's why prices are going up. We're getting new all-time highs in semiconductors, which is definitely bullish. And our big winner so far um, in this new leg higher has been NVIDIA. Uh, so NVIDIA, I still think, goes to 300 um, you know, that 210 level is the support. So as long as we're above 210, I like NVIDIA long. And I don't think you could just blanket just by any semiconductor. Um, same, and, and software too, for that matter. I think there's winners and losers, right? So I think you need to be careful and be specific. And I think that market cap range between like 5 billion and 35 billion, I think that's the sweet spot, Catherine. I mean, listen, there's nothing wrong with these mega caps. We mentioned Amazon and Google and Facebook also pushing up against uh, new all-time highs. So there's there's opportunity in the mega cap space, but man, don't forget about those mid caps. And I know historically mid caps are capped at 10 billion, but we made up new rules. Those are, that's a stupid <laughs> rule. I think mid caps are more like 30, 35 billion. Interesting, and you know, to, to your point about, don't forget about the mid caps, I think over the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years, there's so few mid cap money managers that the mid cap stocks don't get attention. There's a lot of large cap growth, not that many large cap value, and then there's small cap, but not a lot of the mid caps. So that's kind of interesting to bring it up. And then my whole career, Catherine, you know, the old timers, you know, you, you wanna listen to the people that got the battle scars, right? You know, the more gray hairs, the more I pay attention. And you know, one thing they always told me my whole career was JC, the biggest winners come from mid caps, right? Because the small caps are still kind of small, but once they enter that mid cap space, they can double, they can double again, they can double again after that, and it's still not that big. So you get huge winners from mid caps that's always stuck with me. And, and, and we just changed the rules outright because this whole, you know, when they came up with the rules that mid caps were between two and 10 billion, like we didn't have trillion dollar companies back then. So, you know, when we talk about inflation, if there's inflation anywhere, it's in market capitalization. So why don't we adjust our categories of capitalization for, you know, market cap inflation, right? And mid cap yeah. is exactly that. And, you know, a $5 billion stock is great. But to me, I treat a $5 billion stock and a $25 billion stock exactly the same. Those are mid caps, Catherine. We changed the rules. <laughs> Deal with it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, there's inflation everywhere. Of course, there should be in market capitalization as well. Um, so you talked about mid-cap software names. Any other area that um, that you really like for the mid-cap space? You know, there's some... 
there's some biotechnology stocks uh, in mid cap. I don't want to mention any names in particular um, because I kind of like the, you know, biotechs are very funky like that. So I'd rather stick in general. Look at XBI, the equally weighted biotechnology. If we hold uh, last month's lows, I think you can own them. You know, let me point you to uh, 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 uranium. Um, we finding, we're finding some opportunities there. And let's see, is uh, chemical uh, considered a mid-cap? Let's see, is chemical considered a mid-cap? Yep. So actually a traditional mid-cap at $9 billion in market capitalization, as a matter of fact. So if, uh, if CAM goes above 22, I like it long. I think it doubles. I think we get back to those 2011 highs. But if we're below 22, you leave it alone. But uh, uranium popping up uh, for sure in the whole commodity space with uranium futures making new highs. Uh, uranium futures are literally making five-year highs as we speak. Interesting. Uh, so CAM is the bellwether there. Yeah, I hadn't actually kept my eye on on that. Um, what's uh, what are the steel stocks then looking like, or what within the commodity space? Um, what else is looking interesting? Well, the steel for sure, no doubt about it. Um, you know, when you look at uh, even even like the uh, the coal, right? Um, you know, they're, they're part of the same story. New highs in coal futures, new highs in steel futures. I think steel futures are up like I don't know, check my like sixteen months in a row or something ridiculous. 14, 15 months. The point is, steel futures have just not looked back. Uh, same thing with aluminum, uh, I might add, and tin as well, making moves. Nickel continues to act strong, but we've seen corrections in things like rebar and iron ore. There might be, you know, because these are Asian futures markets, so there might be something there with China. Um, but, you know, that whole space, and when you look at the Baltic Dry Index, also making new, I don't know, 13-year highs or something like that. Where's the Baltic Dry Index? It just continues to make new highs. I don't have it right in front of me. Mm -hmm. um, just take my word for it. It's absolutely yeah. crushing it. Um, you know, what does that mean? That there's an overwhelming amount of demand to ship mm -hmm. raw materials. People are trying to build stuff, Catherine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Well, we're, a lot of us are at home still. Are you? Um, I am at home. I, um, you know, we have our office in the city. You know, I was living in California for a long time, so I worked from home, even though we have a New York City office, and now I'm about an hour from New York City, and I work just as much from home. Um, you know, I go into the city once a month, a couple times a month maybe, but it's mostly, you know, to have dinner with, you know, friends, traders, you know, portfolio yeah. managers. I mean, I'm going to, you know, a Korean restaurant in three weeks in New York City, for example. Uh, I'm sure exciting. we'll get business done, but we'll probably uh, rack up a nice uh, tab as well. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, you know, as everyone's at home, everyone's just like looking around their house, trying to make it a little bit prettier or what have you. So yeah, you're seeing major demand. Um, that doesn't seem to be abating. Let me ask you this. So since, you know, I think I've got a lot of Canadian followers, um, what's oil looking like? What's WTI looking like? Or yeah, even so, that gas? Yeah. The 2018 highs in, in crude oil were, was our target, which was 76 bucks. So as, as soon as crude oil hits 76 bucks, that's it. All bets are off. Targets hit. So now we're stuck in a range between about 66 and 76. How long do we stay in the range? Probably for a while, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be in any rush. Uh, I think you buy a breakout in crude oil above 76, uh, you know, and that's the leg to, to 100. And that's where I think we're going back to 100. I do just you? Don't, 
Definitely. I just don't want to be long oil if we're below 76, right? Because we're still below overhead supply. So what's happening right now is that demand is absorbing that supply that's been in place since 2018. And the market has proven that over the last couple of months. So as long as we're stuck below 76, I don't think there's a trade there. I think you leave it alone. Um, but once we break out above 76, I think you buy the breakout and we go to 100. And then natural gas is yeah. almost at our target now, right? About five bucks. You know, the trade was be long if we're above a buck 90, right? That yep. was last year. And then natural gas has been a great trade. Uh, we're quickly approaching our target, which were the highs from 2019. Uh, as soon as we get there, there's probably trouble, right? Right under five bucks. And, uh, you know, you feed the ducks. Now it's somebody else's problem. <laughs> and then what do you think um, uh, as a follow-on on the Canadian dollar? If you really believe, like, we're often viewed as a commodity currency, you know, we're range bound now, but if you think that WTI is going to break out above 76 to 100 bucks, is that anywhere reflected in the Canadian dollar? Probably not. At Definitely. You got to take out the summer lows in dollar CAD, right? So CAD's got to break out to new highs, essentially, right? And if we break out to new highs, I have a funny feeling the oil breakout and the CAD breakout is probably going to be within a few days or a few weeks. And you're expecting that to happen. I am. I just don't know how long it's going to take. And based on what I'm seeing, it's probably going to take a while. It's probably not going to be tomorrow or next week. It's probably not even going to be next month, maybe towards the end of the year. Okay. I mean, listen, um, maybe sooner. I don't know. You know, set your <laughs> alerts, right? When CAD makes yeah. new highs and or oil makes new highs above 76, make sure all your bells and whistles are going off. Like, it could be tomorrow. I doubt it. Um, it could <laughs> be next month. I doubt it you know, gun to my head. Unfortunately, I don't have a gun to my head. I could just be patient. I'm not going anywhere. Like you said, I'm stuck at home. Where am I going? So, you know, it could be, like I said, it could be tomorrow. It could be next month. I don't think so. Probably in the fourth quarter at some point. Okay. And JC, within the FX world, what else are you looking at as it relates to the U.S. dollar? Anything um, particular? Yeah, I mean, Kiwi maybe, right? You know, yeah. Kiwi... That's probably one that stands out if, if Kiwi's above 69, right? So when you're looking at a chart of Kiwi dollar, that 69 levels, probably the one. If we're above 69, you could probably buy it to get back up towards 73. You know, mm -hmm. we've seen a bounce in Aussie yen. That's another interesting cross that you probably want to keep an eye on. Um, you know, it, it tends to move uh, very highly with risk in general when Aussie's outperforming yen. You know, risk assets are probably doing well, stocks, commodities, right? Um, when Aussie yen is rolling over, uh, like it has been for the last four or five months, you know, we talk about the market being a mess. Just look at a chart of Aussie yen. There's your market mess. Hmm. Okay. And, um, and just to take a look at Europe again, just kind of go back there for a moment. What are you seeing in, in Europe? Is there an opportunity? I think it depends on your time frame, Catherine, right? If you look at the Eurostock 600, I sent you guys the chart and you zoom yeah. out, Europe went no, this, the Eurostock 600 is just a broad measure of European equities, the broadest measure as far as I'm aware. Um, but essentially you're looking at 600 of the biggest companies in Europe, it's good enough. Uh, the point is it went yeah. peaked in 2000 and then did nothing for 20 years and just broke out now. So, you know, from a, a structural perspective, I mean, there's just nothing more bullish then action like that. See, very similar behavior in the XLF and the US financials, 14 years versus 20, but same idea, big base. Europe peaked in the tech bubble, financials peaked in the great financial crisis bubble, but they both broke out at the same time, resolving above those levels. So bigger picture, man, hard to be more bullish 
but that doesn't that doesn't have any impact in what's going to happen over the next couple of months which my suspicion is more of a mess mm -hmm. and you want to pick your spots right not all financials are doing well regional banks for example have been struggling right yeah broker dealers and the exchanges have been doing well so i think that's the story catherine if there's any story at all is winners and losers not mm -hmm. winners or losers got it um let's take a look at um cryptocurrencies and bitcoin you brought you you were the one who wanted to talk about it. i always love talking about it but it was interesting that you brought it up well i mean listen you got to give the people what they want catherine and the, the people <laughs> they want to know what's going on in the crypto space you know you're getting all-time highs in volume um in like in things like OpenSea. You know, everybody's talking about Solana. Solana continues to make new highs. That has been an absolute monster for us. Um, so now, you know, we have some volatility now post Labor Day, you know, coming in. Now the big boys are back from vacation. You know, I'm looking at that Bitcoin around 46,000. Bitcoin better hold 46,000 or that's going to be a big, big problem. Uh, Cardano needs to stick that landing around 240, 250. If it can, I think that's bullish. I think you buy this dip. But I think you only buy this dip if Cardano's above 240, 245, uh, Bitcoin's above uh, 46,000. If those two are in place, I think those are big. And then reference to spring highs. I like to own the cryptos that are above their spring highs. The ones that are not are showing underperformance. But if they're above mm -hmm. the spring highs, I like them long. Okay. Um, with respect to interest rates are you looking at the u.s 10-year yield do you have a feel for where that's going next just because we, we want to keep our eyes on on what the real risk-free rate might be who knows for sure 1.4 on the uh on the 10-year yield i mean it's 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 binary you know 1.4 was the 2012 lows those were also the 2016 lows they were the 2019 lows and then we broke last year which is if you recall I was on your show, we were talking about just how bearish we were. A lot of that had to do with interest rates breaking down because if interest rates are coming out of, you know, breaking 10 years worth of support, how are stocks probably doing in that environment? Our suspicion was they probably weren't doing too well. And then sure enough, stocks crash and there was a whole virus and the whole thing. But I don't know any, I still don't know anything about any viruses, but the bond market is very, very smart and we wanna trust the bond market. So, you know, the one, you know, one missing ingredient uh, for risk assets to do well, crude oil to break out above 76, industrials to break out above this four-month base. For that to happen, you know, it would be a lot easier if the U.S. 10-year yield was above 1.4. It is currently not. We're right there. We're flirting right there with it. Uh, so that's something to watch now as we enter September. Definitely. So you're, you're saying what, though? You're saying that 1.4, breaking out above that, is going to be positive for risk on assets. Right. Okay. Do you see, you know, if we went back only a few months ago, do you see that if it climbs too fast and goes further than people think it should, is there a risk there? Like, do you, is, it a, is it a range yeah. for you? Yeah, that's the whole thing, right? So as long as interest rates aren't going crazy, it's not a bad thing. Uh, to your point, you know, what traders don't like something they don't like is that, you know, they panic when interest rates are moving too fast because the bond market is so big that the unwinds of these massive bond positions infiltrate other parts of the market, particularly stocks and commodities. Um, to just, you know, the, these unwinds because these markets are so massive that these institutions mm -hmm. have their fingertips in so many different areas. So as long as interest rates aren't moving too fast, 
it's not the end of the world, but to your point, higher or lower, either direction really fast, you know, makes markets have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and just lastly here, any, any thoughts on the Canadian market? And it is, you know, so much of it is tied to WTI, to the commodity complex. Um, it, it, I don't know if it's, it's hard to have a one broad view of the TSX, I think, from a technical perspective. And you probably have to be even more specific here in Canada from a sector stock perspective than even in the United States. But what do you think? Yeah, we just hit our target in, in the TSX. So, oh. you know, literally 20,700. That's the target. If you take the high uh, from 2000 down to the low in 2003, the 161.8% extension to the penny is the 2007, 2008 highs for the TSX. Then we consolidated <laughs> for 10 years. We just broke out last year. And what's the 261.8% extension? 20,700, which we just hit. So, you know, realistically, it's hard to really press bets in Canada right now. You know, mm -hmm. you got a lot of a lot of exposure to energy and financials, you know, so just something to keep in mind. If oil stuck below 76, how good can Canada really do? Um, so you got to lean on the financials uh, and the industrials for that matter. Industrials are trading sideways. Financials are, you know, kind of stuck below the spring highs and energy is, mm -hmm. you know, just a mess. So how good can Canadian equities do in that environment? I would argue probably not very good. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's an interesting note to leave it on. <laughs> so so I will add one more question yeah. or what have you. Uh, JC, talk to us a little bit about how people listening can access um, your knowledge, your insights, et cetera. Yeah, so you know, I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to speak to some of the smartest traders and investors in the world every day. Right, not a day goes by that I don't talk to somebody who's way smarter than I am, <laughs> and we have a great team internally as well. Um, you know, in six different countries, right? We've got analysts and traders in India, New Zealand, Moscow, Venezuela, all over North America, Canada, Poland, right? So you know, because of all of that, I get great perspective just in my on my own team. Not to mention, you know, all of our clients. You know, these are individual traders to the biggest institutions, portfolio managers, and banks in the world in Switzerland, all throughout Europe and Latin America and Asia, uh, in Mumbai, in, um, I mean, in Dubai, right? So all over the world. So it's really, really interesting, the information that I'm receiving on a daily basis, not to mention that I'm ripping through about 5,000 charts a week. So I really think I bring good perspective that we can then drill down into individual opportunities to buy or short stocks and commodities and cryptocurrencies and, you know, ETFs, and we're able to help investors of all kinds from individual investors to financial advisors to major pms uh, all over the globe so if you go to allstarcharts.com you can check out all of our content there and uh, find us uh, on youtube at allstar charts twitter stock twits instagram at allstar charts okay awesome well, that's a great note to leave it on <laughs> i think so Catherine. and listen i'm always going to tell you how how it is i'm not going to like sugarcoat it like you know sometimes people don't want to hear what i have to say because they might not want to hear that because they have exposure in a different way um sure. but i'm going to give it to you straight Catherine. every time that's a promise i know i know and you know we've not never met well we, we met did once in, in toronto we did once in toronto the first Studio, time kind of. what that was a long time ago agreed okay so i'll see you when we come to new york yeah thai food on you okay <laughs> And then we'll go okay. to sushi on me. Deal? Sure. I like right. sushi better, I think, though. Who doesn't? <laughs> okay. You know what I really love in New York is um, the Duck House. The Duck Peking House. Peking Duck. The Peking Duck House.
down in uh, down in uh, in the village, right in the East Village. No, it's Midtown. Hmm. It's like on Fiftieth. Oh, I try not to. I try not to hang out in Midtown. Oh, sorry, it's not cool enough. It's definitely not cool <laughs> enough. I mean, if I'm gonna go in the city, I'm gonna go down in the village. I'm not hanging out in Midtown with a sweater vest on. No thanks. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll see you in the village. Hell yeah. Okay. Thanks, it's Japonica. JC. It's beautiful. It's the best Perfect. in town. Perfect. We'll do it sooner All than right, later. Catherine. Okay. See you later. Bye bye.